All right, welcome to the Unrealist podcast today. If you wanted to learn about multifamily property uh, and especially within opportunity zones, today is your day. I have the best guests. Uh, but first, uh, our unreal stat of the day, and it's that there are close to 9,000 opportunity zones across the country and over $75 billion have been invested in these opportunity zones. Uh, so allow me to introduce you to our illustrious guest, Corey Older. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Dude, thanks for, thanks for being here. So um, I know that you've done... So, so Corey is the founder and president of River City Capital Partners. River City has over 1,000 units under construction right now. Uh, they've got over 1,500 units in their pipeline and they own over 700 acres of land, all within the Austin, Texas MSA. Austin, one of my one of my favorite places uh, on earth. Uh, and I know you've had uh, a range of really cool experiences in real estate, uh, working in corporate uh, under Gary Keller at Keller Williams, um, investing in in rentals. Um, tell me more about what you do today um, with yeah. multifamily and opportunity zones, and and how you, how you got there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I took probably kind of a winding road uh, to where I'm at now. My background's originally accounting. And uh, yeah, I was uh, in the finance department at Keller Williams and then had a b- bunch of other roles there. And um, yeah, I started in the spec home business and migrated to to rental properties. My, our, right now, um, we're very multifamily focused, also a lot of land development. Um, I'm really trying to build a, a, a company. I mean, I think probably anyone that's um, started a company has this moment where they realize they just own a job and you're like, gosh, I don't really own a company. I, I own a job. And so that's been a lot of my focus the last couple of years is, okay, let's actually build this company out. So it's a machine and it's not just dependent on the principles um, that we really have, um, a system and a way of executing, um, our business model over and over again. So, yeah, that's been a lot of my personal focus as far as deals go. That's been a lot of, uh, a, a lot of multifamily and land development and yeah, kind of fell into the opportunity zone space. Uh, you know, being my accounting background, I gravitated towards it probably, uh, quickly too. Um, but of our units, I think, you know, roughly 80% of them are opportunity zone deals and it's been a great, uh, great program and, um, definitely, um, been, been fortunate that we were in the right place at the right time. And so, yeah, I do my, a lot of my role within the company is on the financial and the capital side and working with our opportunity zone partners and attorneys and everything in that, in that way. Okay, so the average person, you know, we've got a lot of uh, real estate professionals. We got a lot of uh, prop tech people. My guess is that um, three quarters of them are hearing this and being like, "Okay, I've heard of an opportunity zone. Uh, yeah. I don't know exactly what it is. Why? Like, why? And why is it? How is it attractive? And why? Could you could you just break it yeah. down for us? It's so easiest. That, like, you know, yeah, it's it's easiest to explain with an example. So. Um, Imagine that, uh, Kyle, you, you, you bought some stock, you bought Amazon stock, you know, years ago for, for a million dollars. And today it's worth $2 million and you decided to sell it. 
you would have a million dollar capital gain. You, you bought it for a million, sold it for two. If you just pay your taxes come, I guess, April 2024, and you're at the highest tax rate because uh, you made a million dollars, you know about $230,000 in capital gains tax. Uh, so you'd net, what is that, 770. Alternatively, if you take that million dollars, not the full two million, but just your million dollar gain, and you invest it into a business or a real estate project, something that's active, not just buying a piece of land, but an active trade or business in a designated opportunity zones. And opportunity zones were designated, I think in 2018 by, um, I think by each governor. And it, they had to meet certain census track um, requirements. It had to be, I think the lower quartile, I can't remember how they, how they, how they rated um, or how they decided what was the lower quartile. But if you invest that money in an active trader business in one of those opportunity zones, you get a couple benefits. The first one is that $230,000 of tax, you would still have to pay it, but you wouldn't have to pay it till April, 2027. So you get, in our example, you get a three-year deferral, which is nice. Okay. Um, but the, the big thing is if you in, invest in a business and you hold that that interest in that business for at least 10 years, when you sell, you don't have to pay any tax. So let's say that that 1 million, you invested it in one of our real estate projects in an opportunity zone, and it grew to $3 million in total value over the course of 10 years. And you know you could be making money along the way. It's not like you have to wait till 10 years to, to get a distribution. You're getting distributions along the way. And then at the end of the 10 years, we, we sell the project and you, in total, you made 3 million. Uh, so two million, you know, one million was a return of your investment, and two million was was profit. That two million, because of the way real estate works, wouldn't be taxed at all. That'd be a completely tax-free event uh, because okay. it was in an opportunity zone. And I'm in the real estate space, and most of the opportunity zones are in real estate. But it could be a business too. It could just be, hey, I'm opening mm -hmm. up a subway shop, um, sure. and we're investing a million dollars in 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 the business and capital and the equipment. Uh, it'd probably be a really fancy subway for a million dollars, but uh, you sure. could do it in sure. any of that. It doesn't. It just it works really well with real estate. Um, so that's why most okay. of the projects are, are real estate and so, real estate development. Got it. So the the main. So so this was a a program. Um, and you, when you mentioned the lower sort of quartile, this is to redevelop areas that are, are not invested in as often and yeah, spur I mean, investment in, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, yeah, that's spot on. I mean, I think the spirit of the law was to encourage investment and create jobs in, in, in these mm -hmm. areas, because that's where that active trader business, if I, you know, if they had drafted the legislation that said, hey, you can just go buy a piece of land, not mm -hmm. actually develop it, that doesn't create any jobs. So the spirit yeah, of the law okay. was about, um, you know, creating jobs in the area. Um, I, I hate to use the word improving an area because that's it's super subjective, right? You know, mm -hmm. uh, some, of, some of the neighbors to our projects think it's great and we're improving it and some probably aren't so happy. So, but it, it does create a lot of jobs in the corridor.
in the, are in the various okay. corridors. So that's a good that's a good segue. So um, you all are you're going to these areas. Um, you're creating jobs. You're you're building typically some some piece of uh, developing some piece of real estate in this opportunity zone. There are major tax benefits, which is part of why it's attractive, sort of for the people that may be attractive for the people that live there. It's certainly attractive for the the people that are investing in this and getting that tax deferral on the first piece, and then yeah. complete. Tax um, abate. I don't know if the abatement or what do you call it. Like it's, it yeah. eliminates tax for that. Okay, so I, I understand. Yeah, I that. mean, um, no. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to add. I mean, it, abatement's the right word. I mean, a lot of people compare opportunity zones to a ten thirty one exchange. A ten thirty one exchange um, at the end of the day is a deferral. Like you're, you're deferring, deferring, mm-hmm. deferring, and then I mean, eventually you're going to pay taxes. Opportunity zones, I think, gained a lot of steam and a lot of investment partially because of that that it's a it's a true tax abatement yeah yeah okay amazing i get it um so uh the urban institute says that most of these projects you look at this you know over 75 billion dollars that have been invested in them are multifamily or commercial real estate sounds like that's your your focus can you tell me you know more about your your latest projects yeah, um, yeah, it works really well with with multifamily for for various for various reasons. Our um, we have we have several opportunity zone projects at different stages right now, um, and the the next one to deliver will be um, a five hundred and I guess five hundred eighteen unit project. The first um, first about four hundred will deliver later this year. And um, it's in a in a growing corridor of Austin, Texas. Actually, it's right next to um, the new Oracle headquarters in Austin, um, and not too far away from uh, what's uh, now the Tesla headquarters. And so we kind of we we hit the time right in that we've had a lot of employers grow okay. in that area. Now I don't think they they didn't locate because of opportunity zones, but we've um, that that is a really booming area of Austin with a lot of transportation plans too. So that's been really exciting. Um, and then we have another one uh, in North Austin, similar story. Uh, we like being next to major employers, so that one is next to Samsung's campus on Palmer Lane, also in an opportunity zone. Uh, that one will be phased, but will eventually be um, over a thousand uh, multifamily units in that in that location. Um, so we partnered rentals. on these. These are apartments. These are all rental. These are all yeah. It, it, because of that ten-year hold with opportunity zones, it, it doesn't work well to have for sale products. So it does somewhat force the developer to do, um, not, I, I wouldn't say it forces the developer to, to, to do rental properties as much as it, I think, has invited capital um, and the land that's getting opportunity zone benefits, it, you know, are all going to be almost entirely rental in, in nature. Sure. Just because of that 10-year okay. whole time timeline. That makes sense to me. Um, yeah. And you've done, if I remember correctly, some of your, like when you say mixed use, you've had like movie theaters and restaurants. I mean, is that correct? Well, that's a, yeah, that's a, uh, it's a good question. So the project that I just talked about on, um, on Riverside is a funny story. It was originally planned to be a mixed use and you're exactly right. We had a movie theater lease in hand. And uh, I was going to have a movie theater and uh, some office and some retail. And right before the pandemic, um, 
started, we were really digging in and decided, gosh, uh, this movie theater, it would be exciting, be kind of a great anchor tenant, but we worried about just the flexibility of the actual building. Because if you think about a, a movie theater, uh, if a movie theater went out of business, uh, you it's really hard building to repurpose, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it has yeah, a, yeah. It's very unique in nature. And we were just looking at the lease and just going, man, we, we just feel like this is too risky. And we pulled out. And then shortly thereafter, you know, pandemic happens. And uh, that that particular theater uh, ended up filing bankruptcy, to my knowledge. Bankruptcy. And yeah. so yeah. we got really, really lucky. And during that that time, we switched to pure multifamily. And then we ended up partnering with um, one of the local housing authorities to make 50% of the property have some affordable unit components, which we're really happy about. It's something that the community needs. It it um, uh, allowed us to qualify for some further property tax exemptions. And so it was it was really a win-win. So a uh, long way That's of saying, true. no, I have not done a movie theater deal. And I don't know that I will. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's funny. As, as much as I love uh, film, and you and I can geek out about about movies for yeah. sure, um, I think uh, f- affordable housing has become this thing um, that, I, and I think it'll be, it'll get worse. We can talk about that in a moment too. But um, this idea that um, you know, especially in places like Austin, right? I remember maybe ten years ago. Um, I mean, the prices for rent or or purchase were so much below where they are today. I can't even imagine it being, you know, kind of an affordable place to be unless you're yeah. kind of a higher income, higher income person. So it's, I think it's our biggest problem as a city right now. I mean, some of the things that have made the city so great and have the the feel and the culture that it, that it has, has yeah. been due to, you know, some artists and, and, you know, the, the music scene and, you know, not that that's not necessarily a high paying job and right. it makes, it can be really hard to make ends meet, obviously, if, if you're a musician and, uh, you know, so some of these affordable housing projects that are popping up, I think are, they go to a bigger thing of, of keeping those people so they don't have to move. They're part of the identity of the city and what makes Austin so great. And so, yeah, we're proud to, to be at least contributing, um, in that way. Um, and it's, I'm kind of excited about affordability right now because for the first time ever, um, I'm seeing some capital raise their hand and saying, Hey, we're interested in a feel good deal. Like, yeah, we need to make a decent return. Um, Mm -hmm. but it, you know, if we, um, you know, if we need to give up a little bit of return and, um, and, you know, deliver some affordable housing, you know, we're interested in that because, and it's not, it's, it's coming from multiple angles. It's almost like comparing a stock and a bond. you know, why do people invest in bonds? Well, it's a lower return, but it's more certainty. And I think there's some of that too. It's like, okay, we can provide affordable housing. Okay. We know the affordable housing is going to be occupied. Uh, there's such a high demand for that. So it gives our, our return while lower, there's more certainty. And it's just kind of a win-win. And so we haven't done any projects like that yet where we kind of artificially held rents below what was required. Uh, hmm. But I think it's happening. I think, and I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that we're not the only developer um, having conversations sure. with, with capital partners like that. Cause it's, I don't know, it's kind of cool to see. I mean, I think it's a trend that we've seen in a lot of other industries from, you know, Tom Shoes or Warby Parker and all these other things where yeah. there's some, there's a feel good piece of it. So why, why can't that happen in real estate? 
hundred percent. No, so, something actually we talk about a lot um, on, with our platform. Um, how, how do we besides so, so obviously you know Unreal Estate's focus on lower fees, um, transparency in um, commissions, often flat fees, uh, and that to the home buyer or home seller, there's a direct benefit. Um, but we're trying to figure out, is there a way to make it easier for that person to help another person, maybe whether they know them or not? Yeah. Um, and we've looked at the buy one, give one model, um, but Warby Parker's and, um, you know, Bombas of the world. We looked at a couple other models yeah. too, but yeah, it's, it's something that's, it's, it's, it's definitely something we talk about a lot um, and, and, and want to execute on. Um, yeah, that's great. So, okay. Um, would love to hear more about, you know, everybody's talking about high interest rates, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, how that affects, and, and I guess I don't think a lot of people realize not only does it affect, you know, down to the consumer who's buying, say, the, you know, $200,000 house, but to the developer like you, you've got to finance this deal and it's still, your your bank debt uh, is still being priced on the same, you know, increase in, in rates. So we'd love to hear about um, how you've been able to survive and thrive in this higher interest rate uh, environment. Yeah. Um, I could talk a lot about that. It's been really interesting. I would say it's been a very difficult six months in the development world. The Before I talk about interest rates, I think it's important to understand just what's happening in the debt markets as far as construction goes. It's okay. become <laughs> exceedingly difficult to get a loan, uh, a construction loan. And when I dig on that with the various lenders that we're talked to, it's a lot about a lot of their outstanding loans prior to the interest rates being um, raising. They were expecting, you know, a normal cycle of payoffs. Those haven't occurred, and so what's happened is a lot of their their lending buckets are still full. They're they're waiting for payoffs from loans that they already made, and it's really restricted um, th their ability to finance. Um, new deals and then Wait, on top why of that the the, the market yeah. the market was screaming hot so why did yeah. those deals already pay yeah so when interest rates go up it affects cap rates is is the short answer so i know we have a lot of different people probably listening a, a cap rate is uh you know you probably heard of a multiple uh in in the stock market it's the same it's the same thing but in in in, in real estate. So in Austin, Texas, a year ago, let's say multifamily was trading at a 4% cap rate, which basically means if you bought a building, say you bought a million dollar building, all cash, no debt, after you paid all your expenses, uh, both operating expenses, property tax, you know, reasonable management fees, all of those things, you'd make 4%, you'd make $40,000 on your million without any debt. It, it went to, you know, now let's say it's, it's up, you know, almost a hundred basis points. I think it was, it was, I think it was below four. It's probably like three and a half and maybe now it's at four and a half to five. That's a huge discount in, in, in real estate. If you do the math, uh, you know, maybe that was, uh, you know, I'd have to figure it out 800,000, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollar discount, uh, yeah. on, in our example to hit the same, to, to, hit, you know, for that same yield to hit that type of cap rate. So it's, it's a long way of saying, um, Multiples went down, right? The the value of of real estate moves when interest rates move. So everyone's talking about interest expenses. Like, yeah, the interest expense um, is not good when you're doing development, and that line item is a lot more is a lot 
you know, is a lot bigger thing, but that's the small part. Reducing the future value of your real estate by, you know, 10, 20%, that takes a really hard hit. And so you had a lot of, um, a lot of people that probably bought, bought projects on a, you know, in Austin, you know, at a three and a half cap and all of a sudden their buildings worth is, is, is trading at a four and a half or five. They're, they're underwater. They're not going to sell anymore. They're like, okay, mm-hmm. luckily rents have gone up. So they're hopefully still servicing their debt. Um, but I think that, that, that change and just the uncertainty, right? If you're a buyer of real estate and you know, interest rates are going up, you know, that cap rates are going up and you're like, well, okay, I don't even want to buy it at a four and a half or a five because shoot, this might be even higher. So it creates a lot of uncertainty (laughs) in the market. Then you're not having payoffs and then banks are like, well, we're not lending because our balance sheet's too big right now. And so that is made the debt market extremely difficult. And um, so, yeah, that, that, it, you know, to it, going back to your original question, in order to thrive, we've had to get creative. We're we're lucky in that we're have a good relationship um, with the, with the local housing authority, and was we're able to do some creative structures that allowed our properties to save significantly in property tax by by providing these affordable housing and um, made, gave us some savings during construction. Uh, we have really good equity partners, which we're willing to increase their investment, basically taking a lower leverage loan. And all of those things mixed together has allowed us to proceed. But one of our, mm-hmm. our debt brokers, um, uh, JLL, which is, you know, not one of the biggest debt brokers, they've said to us, you know, I, you know, a large percentage of the, of their construction deals nationally have been shelved. I mean, they're, they're, mm. they're on the sidelines. You know, I think it's probably North, uh, guess North of 70, maybe uh, 80% are, are just yeah. waiting for, for the debt markets to open up. So long answer to your question, but uh, for no, my no, view, that's, that's what's gone. Yeah. That's what's going on. Okay. That's helpful. So getting creative is, is, is really, how yeah. You've been getting creative has been, uh, getting creative, being um, having flexible equity partners. We partner a lot with family offices, um, large family offices mm. that are, which I really like because they tend to be looking at the big picture and not More maybe caught capital. up in that. Yeah, they're going. Hey, this is a ten-year opportunity zone deal. These are in great areas in a in a in a booming in a booming city, and you know, we're going to have ups and downs during a 10 year period of time. So having patient capital, having creativity so that your yields, you know, are still there uh, and where they need to be, um, have, have been absolutely, you know, key parts of, of, of the success of our success. And, you know, we got a little lucky that they happen to be an opportunity zone. So it's like, okay, we've got this expiring program, by the way, opportunity zones right now expire at 1231, 2026. So we have, you know, a tax abatement for our investors, you know, some yep. property tax savings and, you know, flexible capital, uh, take even one of those three things away. You know, I don't know where we'd be, but, uh, combined it's, it's allowed us to continue. What are some of the the negatives? Um, I, I know maybe you touched on one already, but what are some of the negatives of, of developing opportunity zones? Yeah. So good question. Um, say a, f- a few things. Um, one, it kind of forces your, your hand. Like you said, 
you know, are you doing any for sale product? It's like, no, we have to do rental product. You know, we've looked at at deals where we're like, gosh, this would really make sense to have for some portion of for sale condos. Well, the way the opportunity zone laws and legislation's written, you have to hold for 10 years. So you, 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 you know, it pushes you away from, from selling, even if it maybe makes sense. Um, so, so that's one of the, the big ones. Um, and I think there's a lot of derivatives of that or different things where you're like, Hey, this totally makes sense. This is good for the, good for the area and it's good for the development, but we're just handcuffed because the legislation says you can't do X, X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a, Mm -hmm. we have a deal we were looking at where we're like, okay, let's, you know, the land is bigger than we want. Let's buy it all, sell off the portion we, we don't want. And then keep what we want. Like it, it well intended in the spirit of the law, creating jo- you know, creating construction jobs, and uh, and and it just it makes it makes it things like that are doable, but they're very difficult when you're you're in um, an opportunity zone. And then I also think you get into a place. It's worked well for us, but you're dependent on the timing of your investors. We have a lot of investors that sometimes like our deals, but they go man, I love this. I just don't have a capital gain right now. So you're dependent on okay. a lot of things. You're just like, okay, I got to hold this yeah, for a long time. Yeah. I got to catch Kyle right when he sells his Amazon stock, you know, because, yeah, yeah. you know, if I catch him before then you're like, well, I don't have a capital gain, even though the deal looks great. So oh, um, yeah, okay. those are some of the, some of the challenges. And overall, I like to headline, you know, headline that opportunity zones, it's like a nudge the, the benefits are great, but it's not so great that it makes, doing a bad deal worth it. Like the deals still got to be really, really good. And it's a, it's a nudge. It's gravy. Okay. Okay. That makes sense to me. uh, What about trends in multifamily development in general? Um, And if you want to touch on opportunity zone trends as well, that's fine. But uh, I know it's sort of a subset. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any real specific opportunity zone trends that come to mind. The two that I think I'm most close to right now one of which we already talked about is at least in Austin, it feels like there's an affordable housing trend, which I love. I think that's really exciting. Um, and we talked about it as far as just equity partners um, starting to look in that direction too, which I think is, is really, really good. Um, the other one that is definitely, I think nationally, one of the hot topics is build to rent homes or, you know, sometimes you call them single family for rents. And these, are really rental home communities. And they, the interesting thing about them is they take a really wide range of shapes. So, you know, if I, if I say a multifamily apartment building, you know, there's this narrow range of what that, that product looks like, you know, the apartments are usually about 800 square feet and you have a mix of Mm. one bedrooms and two bedrooms. And yeah, you have the downtown and garden style, you know, meaning some, some have elevators, some have stairs, but they're this really narrow range of how apartments tend to look in the build to rent. It's a really wide range. You have at one end end of the spectrum, you have developers that are basically just building a horizontal apartment complex. They have, um, you know, 500 unit detached apartments. And, you know, that, that it's for all intents and purposes, it's an apartment complex. It's just, you don't share any walls and maybe you have a driveway. Um, but it's, it's really an apartment complex. And then, then at the other end of the spectrum, you have really single family subdivisions where the developer has chosen to rent those homes. 
Yeah. yeah. And you know, they might be 2,500 square foot homes and you would net, if you're driving through, you just, you would assume that they're um, owned by different people and that's just a normal subdivisions and then everything in between. So it's, it's, it's interesting right now. I don't, so I think it's, this is, um, this is one of those areas that always, um, it, it piques my interest because I, I, so in Chicago, the trend is, and if you, if you, anybody is walking around uh, downtown or sort of river north area of Chicago right now, you'll see all these skyscrapers going up. I mean, dozens. They're all over the place. West Loop, all the way to the lake, lots of high rises. What you find is that they're almost universally all rentals, right? And, mm-hmm. and this, I, I feel like maybe about five years ago, and I can't remember the, I can't, I'd love to give the guy credit. There's, a, there's an investor who kind of flipped the switch on this to say, wait a second. Why are we like building this thing and then selling it all um, as condos? We should just hold it and then you know earn earn the the income off of that over a long period of time. And so we've we've had even international companies come in to do this. Um, certainly, large asset managers uh, do this, and it, it makes me wonder though, what does that mean for number one home ownership in general? Uh, mm-hmm. Number two. For uh, and I don't want to make it larger than it is society, but like even for just this community, I mean, at, at a certain point, a lot of people grow out of an apartment, right? Uh, and if there's no yeah. place to buy, where do you where do you move? Um, and it, it makes me wonder if if this is like, and people, I know there's some conspiracy theories about this, but is this? the end of homeownership for a lot of people because now they're just <laughs> building you this small thing that you're going to rent, right? And then yeah. when it's time for you to get out of that, where are you going to go? To the other place where you're going to rent? Like in, in home ownership is such a um, uh, wealth building sort of exercise. It makes me concerned uh, with that trend. I don't, I don't know how you, what you've seen on your side, but. Yeah. So man, there's so much in there I could attack. I'm just deciding where, where to fire first. <laughs> bring it on, bring it on. Yeah. Well, okay. First, let me talk about the condos in your example of the downtown. And then I want to get into, you know, is homeownership going away, which I, I'd say, you know, absolutely not. Um, on the condos, okay, this is just my belief, but I'm, I'm sure if I researched, I could get some 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 evidence to support it. Go ahead. All right. That's going to ebb and flow because of what we just talked about. Um, condos are not sold on a cap rate. Right. Yeah. When interest mm-hmm. rates go down, right, and cap rates get really, really low and developers are comparing, should I build this as a condo tower or a multifamily tower? Uh, especially when if construction costs are high, multifamily is usually done with a lower quality. Um, it's like, gosh, uh, what makes sense here? You know, you know, sometimes just the dollar and cents are pushing you towards one product or the other. The other thing is condo, um, you know, it, it's very timing dependent, let more, much more so than multifamily. It's, it's considered, you know, I think by most a riskier asset because it's all about your you know, on the moment that you deliver, depending on how you've pre-sailed, what's the world look like right then? Um, mm-hmm. If you're delivering delivering apartments, okay, it's absorbed over time. The rental, you're you, you you know, there's a little bit more tolerance there. So I do think um, some of that is just going to ebb and flow with 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 capital markets and in in debt markets. On your home ownership, look there's always going to be the desire to have your own home and build it your own way and customize it the way you want it. You know, if you look at these rental communities, it's like, okay, you, you know, 
maybe you can paint the walls, but you know, even planning your own garden is restricted because yeah, it's at the end point. of the day. I'm yeah. with you. I'm with you. But, but the desire, I'm not talking about the desire going away. I think the desire maybe might be increasing. Uh, I think society mm-hmm. in general might be getting wealthier. Uh, you know, people are, you know, things are better than they were 50 years ago for, for, for most people. So from an economic standpoint, so the desire is there, yeah. but if you're competing up against a multi-billion dollar, um, private equity firm that's just built 200 units and they're going to rent them. Are you going to be in a position to, is there going to be inventory for you to buy? And it, and if it's there, is it going to yeah. be priced out of your ability to buy it? Because it's, there's not as much of it. It's just supply and demand, right? Okay. I see your point there. I don't think it's going to be go away. It's like, okay, we, ha- here's, I think the best way of explaining it and my, my view on it we have a, a big piece of land, um, hundreds of acres in, in South Austin, that is going to be a big mixed use, um, subdivision. It's going to have multifamily. It's going to have some built to rent homes on it. And it's going to have for some different sized for sale home products. The, the reason we're doing those different products is, is because it allows us to deliver the whole project faster. So if we were only doing, if we were only doing homes, and you just look at the absorptions of how often people are buying homes. Maybe it's a, you know, a 10 year project, right? Or I don't know, okay. I'm probably, you know, a five year project. If we offer something to various, it's almost like offering various different products to your customers, right? If we do multifamily and then we also have built to rent and we also have um, for sale home, you know, we can serve four customers instead of just one and you know our velocity okay. goes a lot faster so it's not like the homes that we are going to sell are going to be higher priced because we're doing build to rent also on the land just because <laughs> we're building as many homes as we could as we could sell like it's it's it, i don't think that situation occurs now when you like fast forward I get your point. Like, okay, fast forward 10 years, the project's totally built out. 10, 20 years, and, right? Like, wh- yeah. What happens like, if you, have, look at you, Austin, have you restricted supply? Yeah. For, exactly. for force. Yeah. Okay. I, I will agree that you've restricted the supply in the long term um, for homes. But my, my point is in the, in the current moment, your, your supply, your supply exceeds demand. You know, when you're mm. developing the project, it's not mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you, you know, if you had a bigger demand for for sale homes, then, 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 then you would do that. And I'd also say it's really in suburban areas that you're seeing this, right? In central Austin, you know, there's not there's not enough acreage where you could, you know, do this at a big big level. So sure. you're still going to have a bunch of individual homeowners. Um, so yeah, I, I get your point. I don't think uh, we're gonna. I think it's, I don't think it's a fad. I think it's going to stick around here. I I get the desire. You get it. Like, I think there's a lot of people that either are moving to a city for a short period of time or whatever their finances are such that they can't qualify for a loan. They can't buy a home, but they want a backyard and they have kids and they want, you know. Yeah, no, um, I get, I Rental homes make sense. The use case for a rental home completely makes sense to me. 
Um, and, and I'm not trying to say we don't need them. I, I just get concerned. Um, and again, like on, on our platform, we've certainly done rentals in the past. We'll do rentals uh, in the future. So it's, I'm not biased by the fact that, you know, we specialize only in, in buy sell. Um, but I, I am just, I always like look at, you know, what's happening on a macro scale and wonder like, what does this mean? Like, look, we, we fast forward 20 years, right? Like, is it going to be this exotic thing to own a home that only like very wealthy <laughs> people have because everything else is just turned into rentals? And I yeah, wonder. I mean, it seems like the whole world is turning into a subscription, right? Like, it's That's just what, whatever yeah. you, you do, whatever you're doing. I mean, eventually you can see it very close that it's going to happen with transportation. I mean, I've already, I think I was listening to something with the, the Lyft CEO. It's like, okay, this is going to be a subscription eventually where you have got access to scooters and, and, and yeah. cars and all of these different, different, you know, way, modes of transportation. And so I agree with you. There's a trend towards just subscription or, or rent, uh, in, 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 rather than, than ownership. But, um, you know, I mean, well, I, the other thing that, on this that, is, that is well, I was going to say, so there's a piece that says, wait, that's what the consumer, like, especially you talk to, um, let's say millennials and Zs, they're like more used to a subscription. Like, why would I own it? I can just stream it. Like, okay, fine. And then there, yeah. it sounds like it's a demand issue. Like they don't want, but if you start to dig in and that person has a kid, that person gets a new job. And at some point they say, wait a second, I actually would, rec- I prefer to be getting the equity, especially when we start talking about the the monthly cost being almost at par or close to it uh, between owning yeah. and, and renting when it gets there you start to say ah I might rather just build the wealth than give it to the the landlord yeah. or the asset manager yeah I mean but I also wonder with these build to rent communities are their tenants people that would have otherwise lived in an apartment or they would have bought or were they they've just lived in a rental property that was, you know, not owned by a company, but by an individual. So I don't know, is this, is the point being is, is this movement creating more renters, like you're saying, or mm-hmm. is it just giving the person that owns a home that would have rented yeah. them out? Now they have competition. Now they can go to a company, you know, now I can go to a company and I can get amenities and I'm not like negotiating my lease with, you know, some, some guy that's never rented a home before. Am I just, are we just professionalizing rents? Okay. That is for sure happening. Right. And I think that's not only, uh, single family homes, but I don't know if you've like paid attention to the, the storage, uh, public storage, like the, what do you call it? Storage space, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I've watched it a little bit. Okay. So that was like a mom and pop thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, And now there are a couple, I know like I've got a few friends that are in private equity that were like, we looked at what was happening with the numbers of like, well, what I'm forgetting the term, but like storage units and they've just yeah. basically industrialized storage, self-storage. Yeah. They've industrialized yeah. self-storage. They, they've come in, they buy out the mom and pop for one multiple. And then they come in, they put in real software, they put in real controls. They, they just, they commercialize it. Right. Uh, yeah. And then five years later, it's worth far more. Right. Uh, and so I think, I think you're seeing the same thing in single family rentals. Yeah. And you know, where else you're seeing that is, um, RV parks, uh, big money is, yes. um, digging into that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's funny on the self-storage, we, we poked our head into self-storage a little bit and depending on what market you were in, it got way oversupplied. Uh, because of that. So mm. I don't know, it's going to okay. be interesting. interesting. 
You know, okay. do we end up with the same thing on homes where we have way too many rental homes? It, you know, time will okay. tell. That would be good devil. Okay, that's good devil's advocate. I'll, I'll buy you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So um, I'm going to recap. So you all have been heavy in the opportunity zone space, multifamily space. Um, it sounds like uh, there are major tax benefits, and that's one of the things that really really gets people into it, but that's really just the gravy. They still have to be, you know, deals that are worthwhile on their own. Um, Absolutely. You know, trends we see are towards um, affordable housing, which I think is great. Um, And you and I mostly agree that single family rentals (laughs) at a commercial scale could be a problem. Maybe not. I don't know if I should put it that way. (laughs) All right. Damn it. All right. Well, we agree it's an issue that needs to be discussed further. Okay. Agreed. Uh, And then, um, yeah, man, it's been, it's been great having you on the show. This is my, this is my favorite uh, time when we do the, the sneaker check. Oh yeah. I'm ready. You want to see him? No, I'm going to go, I'm going to go first. Okay. Let's see him. I think I had these on um, before. I'm on common projects today. You see these? Oh, Nice. Nice. They're, they're kind of I like chill. That. They match everything. They're super comfortable. Yeah. I got to see what mine are called. You'll know. Just the the classic, I don't know, the three shoe the three these? shoe hole. You know, just like your normal Oh, oh like a chuck of Your That's normal like chuck-a-boo. shoe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you okay. go. So, so kind of goes with chuck-a. everything. You you yeah. know what? All right, you surprised me. I really thought <laughs> I didn't know what you were going to roll with. That is a perfectly business casual, appropriate shoe. You know, I, I wish I would have been wearing. I've got these new Vans. I've been rolling those a lot to work. Oh, uh, see, so you just caught me on an off day. I didn't know about the sneaker check. Okay. No, I remember we had a discussion once about square-toed dress shoes that you. Were oh yeah, and we had. I had private intervention with you that it was done. Yeah, uh, it was, it was a coaching session where you told me I couldn't do them. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't wear those anymore. Okay, I thought you were gonna, st- you know, maybe break those out today, but it's cool. No, I, I got you on the chuckers. Those are nice. <laughs> thank you. All right, thank man. Th- thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, any uh, so anything you want to plug in? You know, website uh, development you're working on. Anything our our listeners should look out for. Yeah, I mean, uh, nothing really. If you if you want to learn more about what we're doing, uh, rivercityus.com. Um, is our is our website? You can see our projects and and reach us. And yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. My pleasure, man. Thanks for being on. Talk to you soon.